Well, hello everyone. I'm Jill Bloom, publisher of Roofing Contractor, and welcome to the Roofing Contractor podcast show. I'm extremely honored to be speaking today with Charles Antis, the founder and CEO of Antis Roofing. And along with Art Eisner, the editor of Roofing Contractor, we've got so much to talk about. So Charles, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Art. I'm so happy to be here. So Art, I want to kick it over with you because there's so much to start with. Uh, you know, let's start with our awesome editor. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. Uh, Charles, appreciate you being here uh, and for all you're doing for the industry. Uh, goes without mentioning, but we should be mentioning it. That's why we're here. Uh, but uh, let's uh, let's start off. Uh, tell us and kind of walk us through uh, your roofing origin story. Let's hear how you began in this business. Okay. Okay, Art. Yeah, I uh, I, I need to qualify there. So I I didn't have any, you know, construction experience as a kid, but I did have a lot of labor experience. I grew up in Oregon and in the mountains of Oregon, and, and I was born in 62. So in the early 60s, my memory of Myrtle Creek, Oregon, in Southern Oregon, it was like blue collar heaven, timber capital of the world. Every man that I knew well worked with his hands, either in the lumber mills or cutting timber in the forest or in the, the metal mine that was all there was and that's that's how i grew up so when you worked you worked with your hands you sweat and you risked your life and that's just the way it was growing up back in oregon in 1962. but i but i i moved to uh when i was night i always wanted to live in california because growing up you don't always appreciate the things you appreciate now with all those beautiful trees and i i came to california when i was 21 on a sales job and i was i was recruited um, to come at the sales job, so I was excited, and I found myself knocking on doors up in the valley, that's North LA, in the valley, knocking on doors, selling insulation. So I was selling for a company that wanted to come in and put wall insulation in the walls and attic, and if I sold them, then, then I got like $1,000 a home or something, and that was like a lot of money back then in the early early 80s and so I was knocking on doors and I sold this family and I promised them they were gonna have energy savings and it was a really great sale you know one of those sales where you kind of fall in love with the client because I remember this family they were a deaf family they, they couldn't hear well the parents couldn't the children could and I remember they had you know I'm 22 they had this really cute teenage daughter I just remember that you know and I was really what they thought of me mattered and the next day I went to pick up a check on what would be my final day at this company, I went up on the door and I knocked and nobody answered. And I looked through the window and I saw that deaf father. I saw him walking around and I finally, he looked at me and he still didn't answer. I didn't understand it. And suddenly I felt footsteps on the porch and I looked and there was a neighbor walking toward me and she had her finger extended and she says, you get out of here. And I said, you don't understand. I, I just sold the family. She goes, I know exactly who you are you cheated this family you took advantage of them because they're deaf and i want you to leave and then she explained to me how it was impossible that this family was going to have the savings on their electricity bill to justify the cost of this and when i looked at her accusation i looked down and i thought oh my gosh she's she's right and i could never go in front of that family and clear my name i walked away in shame and i thought i'm never going to represent something that doesn't value what I value again. 
and that's when I got a job in roofing. <laughs> but it was just because it was the only job I saw after the job I came to California for fizzled because I saw myself as a laborer and a guy had a roofing company and he hired me back in the summer of 84. Wow. And so uh, did you start with them in sales or did you go back to those uh, you know, get your hands dirty uh, roots? That's a great question. You know, I, I didn't even consider myself a salesman. I considered myself, I was in my mind, salesman didn't open up as a category because if it did, I would have considered myself a failed salesman. So I, I did what my dad taught me to do and my dad taught me to work hard and I got a job and it was a hardworking job. And it, I mean, it was really rough. It was summer of 84. It was really hot that summer. The Olympics are going on. There's all this party going on in town and yet I'm up on a roof sweating. I mean, you know what it's like tearing off like six layers it's dusty, it's hot, you can't breathe, you're sweating, and you're wondering, did I choose the right profession? And that's what roofing started for me like that first summer. But there was this other thing later on in that fall, because I didn't go back to school, and I remember that point very clearly. I didn't go back to school. I remember I, I suddenly found that there was a part of roofing that I really liked, and that was solving the leak that no one else could solve. That was when my, my boss for that company would send me out to a, a condominium, an HOA that had a few leaks. And I, and I heard, I could see the mastic up there everywhere and caulking everywhere. I could tell that everybody's tried to patch it. To me, that was like an honor if I could go in and pull that apart and be the inspector that could figure out how that water traveled 30 feet, dripped down a wall, dripped over this top plate came down, ran along this drywall until it leaked three rooms over. I mean, that was the coolest thing. And so that's what I think was the initial love of roofing, was being that problem solver, if you will, being the hero. Because when you can go out and keep a, a person's a home dry, when the family's in that home, that's their castle. When you can do what no one else can do, when you can keep them dry and save them money by in keeping them dry, then you become a hero. And I think I like that hero business. So I think that was an early win for me. Well, you're definitely a hero in the roofing industry, Charles. But I, so I got a question for you. So you said you didn't go back to school that year. What, why did you decide not to go back to work or back, go back to school and continue working? Well, that's a great question. I would love to tell you uh, it was a great strategy plan I had of starting a business in a few years, but honestly, Jill, I wasn't mature enough to handle school. When I went to uh, call, uh, my first, uh, uh, one of, that year, last year of college, I remember it before 83, I had dropped out of several of my classes. I, was, I wasn't ready yet. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know who I wanted to be. I wasn't emotionally ready yet for everything. So I think for me, it was, it was you know, roofing in a foreign place, which California was to me, was in some ways um, a journey in learning all new things. I just didn't have a clear path yet of anything of what I want to do. In fact, I didn't even want to start my own business, except I got married and I had a little kid and I needed stuff for that family. And then the company that I worked for, they ran out of work and I needed work for my family. And that was the only bridge, that was the only opportunity. The reason I started a business was I needed to convert a side job. Somebody had a leak, I could, I could go fix that leak and then make that payment and let my family stay in the home. I mean, that's what it felt like because when you start your business, it does feel like check to check. And when I started my business, it was a very check to check market. I, I had two or three leaks that I would get calls on a week. 
and I didn't even have a crew, didn't have a kettle. So I would hopefully convert. If someone called me for a re-roof, you know what I would go out and do? I would go out and try to solve the leak instead and try to save them a bunch of money. And mostly it was because I didn't have the ability yet. I was really confused. Didn't know what I wanted to do in school. Didn't know how to do roofing enough, but then forced into a corner because there wasn't enough work at the company I was at. And so honestly, Jill, it was a lack of planning that put me back in that position in 19, by 1989, with experience in roofing to start my own company. It was, there wasn't enough work. I had a skill, I could solve anything that leaked. So I said, give me the leak that no one else can solve. I'll fix it for free. Then you'll trust us and then you'll let us do our work. And that was my model of how we started the business. So Charles, were were those wins uh, you were talking about being able to solve those leaks? You once you started to stack those uh, a little bit and and build some momentum, uh, was that enough to convince you uh, or your wife really to stay in uh, you know to stay in that lane, or did you consider going into something else, whether it was construction or not? Well, I think yeah, that's a great question. So going back to 1983, I got married. Um, I got married to, I got married and there, um, my wife at the time, I'm no longer married to this woman. I am remarried. So that's a little bit awkward, <laughs> but I, but I, I had a child immediately and I adopted this child. So, so yeah, I had a lot of responsibility and I didn't, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a path was clear. It was that I have to provide, this is the only job I see. This is the only work I see. There's not enough work. I'll put out a shingle. And, and there was there was an instance so that really kind of formed my company that it's worth mentioning. And I'll try to say this fast. It's a story I tell more than anything. I call this my origin story because in the beginning, I didn't know who we were. I didn't know how to be a business. I didn't know what worked and what didn't work. In fact, this story only has meaning now looking back, but I, I showed up at a job because a woman had leaks in every room. I went there real excited, but when I got close to the home, I realized, ooh, this is not a nice home, but I had knocked on the door anyway. And when I did, a woman answered the door, and and I, I'll never forget the look on her face. It was like, oh, why did I knock on this door? Because she does not look happy. But before I could say anything to her, I was hit with a smell of mildew, which really turned me. And I, in fact, I literally was going to leave, but before I could pull away or, or think what to say, I was pulled, my, my, my index finger was tugged on. I looked down and, and this woman's daughter, a little six-year-old girl was just so excited. She had a visitor. She pulls me all the way in through her living room into a hallway and into her room. And I knew it was her room because she pointed to this little, my little pony poster on the wall. And, but as she kind of looked at that poster and smiled, I looked down at her feet and I saw four mattresses with mold on the bedding. That was kind of a, a powerful, really hard moment because I did not want to help her. I got to make it clear. I didn't want to be in that situation. I was going out to look at a job to make money for my company and I needed it. And instead, I was inside of a, of a home with that, need, that was about to be condemned with a little girl who was being really nice but who had mold. And this, is, this was an uncomfortable position to be in. And then I didn't do anything though because I was frozen until the mom walked back in that bedroom. And when she walked in with her really pained expression again, I, I, I volunteered for the first time 
to somebody that I was going to take care of the roof. I said, I, I, I'm going to take care of your roof. And I remember saying that, Jill and Art, I remember saying that and wishing I hadn't said it almost immediately because I had no idea what I just volunteered to do. And not having made a, a commitment that big before, I had no idea whether I could possibly do it or not. In fact, when I went up on the roof right afterwards to look at it, praying that it was just a, a hole in the roof, and I saw that the roof was just literally gone. There was, you could see the wood everywhere. And so that was, that was my first experience of a major gift. And to me, that was, that'd be like us, you know, committing to a million dollar give today. I mean, that, that was a huge give. How can we possibly do this? I don't even have an organized company. Why am I here? Why isn't somebody else here? It was bad luck. But there I am saying yes. And that's when everything really started looking back started to take shape because even though I didn't have employees yet, whenever I ran into one of those siblings, there was six other, or there was like six kids altogether in that home. And I did for a while, because this is 31 years ago. And whenever I ran into one of the volunteers, I got six volunteers that Saturday to come out. Whenever I would revisit one of these people, it was like a guffaw laugh, like, hey, it's high fives, it's hugs. And I, I, I didn't have that in any other work experience except with that. And so I, I learned that over time as we started, we, we're kind of like a lot of roofing pros that I've learned since I've gotten super involved and got to know you, Jill. And as a lot of roofing pros, they don't talk about it, but they just can't let a family have a leaky roof just because they don't have the money to pay. And, and I, I'm no different. And so I quietly gave on a lot of roofing until eventually it became formalized at Antis. And that's when people started to hear about us when Habitat for Humanity asked us for a roof. And we had no idea the difference, but when we gave a roof for Habitat for Humanity, they had a very formal way of saying thank you. And their donors found out and their, their stakeholders found out and their board members found out and it affected our business. It affected the way people saw us, it affected the way people received us, it affected the way people trusted our brand and our name. It affected the way the jobs flowed because our employees knew what we did and they knew that why we existed to help families thrive in a home. And I think that when all of this started to happen, that single experience back 30 years, 31 years ago is the most galvanizing or, or I'd say it really put us, it, we, it's like we slipped on this path and slid down the slide that is so much more beautiful than what we could have discovered had we not slipped down that slide. Had I not been stuck in a room with a girl and a mom in a broken down home, I don't know that I could have volunteered something so big. And the reason it's worth mentioning is today, I gotta tell you, I still get that feeling. I, you know, I. People, sometimes organizations and nonprofits, I love nonprofits, but they'll come in with a big ask. And we have a rule around here, the word no is not, it's, it's just not allowed. So we, so we say maybe and we think about it and then something happens and it's this big beautiful story that just keeps getting bigger. And it makes every day, instead of a, a drudgerous work day, it makes a day a potential miracle for some cause that's near and dear to us. And so that, that moment that happened 31 years ago that changed our course um, has, has given me and my company today, our company today, the hottest culture we've ever had. Because in this last year when things really got topsy-turvy, we knew that we can't do anything without taking care of community. And so in addition to donating all the habitat roofs, which I haven't talked about yet, in addition to donating the Ronald McDonald House roofs and, and doing Meals of Love there, we started uh, doing blood 
uh, doing blood drives here. We did our 29th blood drive in the last 11 months last week. I think we have another one this week. And we started uh, moving food for the food insecure because that became a real thing when I found out that 22% of the elderly in the country and your market and my market don't have enough food. And then we started also bringing food and supplies to, to the frontline heroes through a, a local non, a, a local, um, a local organization that we started called the, the California Love Drop. So my point is, is 31 years ago, I got put on a course that has blessed us so much that today our culture's never been stronger than it's ever been because it's in our bones to matter not only to our clients but to community. And right now, more than ever, that helps us as we push forward to try to you know, move people in a world that's changing really fast. Well, Charles, I'm really glad you mentioned that story. I remember you sharing that from the BOS stage in Miami uh, and, and talking about how impactful that was for your organization. Uh, and uh, you segued per, uh, perfectly into uh, how important it is today. So, uh, you know, clearly that that was really the, the beginning of your philosophy to uh, to really give back and how important that was. And it sounds like uh, that's been in, uh, an evolution, right? An evolving process. Uh, tell us, or if you can walk us back, how did you, when did you realize that that could be an integral part of your business model? Was it, uh, with, was it that, with that connection? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Or I, I think that, uh, honestly, um, I, I say this thing, thoughts become words become actions become things that are done so be careful with your thoughts there's another guy that does this thing called the universe talks he says thoughts become things choose good ones i think that's better it's quicker getting there and i think that yes i did envision maybe something like this uh but it wasn't really there so uh, i learned in, in envisioning something you have to envision things loosely because if you envision them exact it becomes impossible for everyone else to manage that's building it with you or you'll end up running it all yourself but but i i did envision something like this i did envision that that I believe that people do care. I believe that honesty does matter. My dad taught me that. But in a lot of ways, you know, doing the right thing, it wasn't obvious that it was paying me off back then. But for some reason, I put, I believed that it would be sellable. I, I believed that it would be sexy someday. And I think that partially it's that belief, but really it's just learning about cause, learning about corporate social responsibility and for the company at the same time learning to be mindful and attentive and in the moment for myself personally i think that you can't do one without the other you can't have good philanthropy in a company if the ceo isn't doesn't really care but the ceo can't really care in a company unless he is emotionally intelligent as compared to compared to himself i'm not claiming i'm emotionally intelligent but art i'm claiming i'm freaking emotionally intelligent like PhD compared to myself, compared to where I'm coming from. And so I think that that there is this beautiful thing that's been created, having a corporate social responsible company. That means, it, do you exist just to make money or do you exist to do something profound for everyone affected and everyone around you in your community? What if every company thought 
it's possible that I can have a real impact on my people. What if every company thought, it's possible that I can have a real impact on my community in my county? And what if every company thought, it's, it's really possible to have a real impact on the world? I can tell you, none of it happened until I thought it was possible. But now we have a real impact on our families and our people. We have real impact in community and we have real impact in the world. And I, and I think it switched everything into, I don't chase growth for growth's sake anymore. I chase impact. Impact is that magic that occurs where people are being fulfilled and the community's being invigorated and lifted. And that's that magic intersection. And that's what I search for. And there it is. It's big. It's powerful. When you, it's called cause marketing. If every time I talk about Antis and what we're good at, if I tie it into like, if you look behind me on my wall here, it says on our logo, 30 years keeping families safe and dry. That's a story on my logo. There's a story there, and that's powerful because it tells my people why they come to work at day, today. And if we get a call today when someone's got concerns about their, their home, their castle being invaded by water, we know what it's like because we exist to keep them safe. And that means that we're going to get a truck out there. We're going to get a plastic. We're going to talk to them. We're going to take, give them great customer care. And then we're going to make their community whole. I mean, when you have that kind of purpose that shows up, it, it only can show up through taking real stories of really taking care of community. It's showing up not because it's an annual basket drive, but becoming a, but, but showing up every week because this is why you exist. And I think that is a, that's, that's what's made a big difference for us. And I believe, and the reason I'm so loud on this is I remember at that conference you brought up, I was saying these, a lot of the same things, but it wasn't necessarily clear to everybody. I remember I said in there, like, if you're in existence to make, just to make money in the next 10 years, good luck. You better have cause. You better exude with why you exist. And today it's apparent there's so much inauthenticity in the world. We see it so much more than we did a year or two ago. We see black being called white, white versus black. I mean, we can't see what's true, what's not. We just see misdiagnosis of self and misdiagnosis in others. So what that means is we are craving authenticity. We talked about the currency of social good then, and that's what people, there is a real value to this. When the public, when your people, inside and outside your company, know why you exist, and your story rings with authenticity, it throws everything else on its ear. How they feel about you, how your employees feel about you, how the community feels about you, it drives who you are. It drives your ability to attract and retain talent. And it, it drives your ability to perform well on a roof. I'm getting well, clearly, yeah, Charles, clearly you've proven that, it's, uh, uh, that this method you know, works, you've been able to build a lot of momentum within uh, your company for it. But uh, in addition to showing the authenticity, how did you get buy-in from people, at least initially, and uh, how did you get them to recognize that value without, you know, being able to prove it yet? Yeah, yeah, that was really hard, honestly. I didn't do well, and initially, I think that uh, sometimes 
in the effort to be kind of the hero and and help the community sometimes you you without without realizing it put more work on your team i remember when i made the commitment to donate all the habitat roofs we donated one roof everybody thought that was fine but then i kind of snuck to my team we just don't we just committed to donate the next eight roofs on this military project they were building in san juan capistrano and i looked at my team and i i thought well let's they that why are they going to care it's not their money, yeah, well it is in a way, the way they see it and it makes sense. I mean, it was more work for them. Production has to handle eight more jobs this year and there's no money coming in for it. That that concerns my VP of production. Uh, my marketing team is working weekends now on a, on a habitat build with donors that, you know, to, everything was different initially and we had to make everybody feel good. And so what I learned is, it needs to be philanthropy to be real, to be effective. Corporate social responsibility must be an inside out game. It can't just be outside, it can't just be inside, it needs to be inside out. Your insides need to match your outsides. And for that to happen, you've gotta be on the same page. I remember in that talk, I also, you know, when I first started doing philanthropy, I did. I was so isolated, I did. I, I felt like Will Ferrell in old school, when his wife sees him on the road and he's streaking, she's like, come on, honey, get in the car. And he's like, hey, honey, come on, everybody's doing it. And that's how it was for me. I was so isolated because I was committing so much to my people without thinking about how it would impact them. But I didn't, I didn't really tell them the story. I didn't tell them that story I told you guys earlier about the moldy mattresses until I did. And when I told them the story, and then they told me their story. And then when I invited my team out, to those habitat builds, my office team, and when I invited my other stakeholders, our property managers and other people in our industry out on those, on those builds, that's when I started matching my insides to my outsides. The story that I told became slightly different because I told it to hearing their pain, I could tell the story that would kind of be a sad to their pain. Because when we tell stories, people identify with them, you know, we, 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 it's important that we, that we that we bring that we make them whole with the story i think that's what happened when we started telling the stories we started hearing each other we started finding this alignment we started getting excited we started being proud of the brand when other companies or other people in the community said hey that's great what you do i think that started to feel with a really healthy pride for like hey we're not just going in and punching the clock today we're going in and we're keeping folks dry and we're doing this and this and this for community and then i think it got it got exciting our culture started to lift for real it wasn't one of those we win a culture award but we wonder if we deserved it we started to really get a stronger culture and i think that's that's what's particularly satisfying today art is today my culture is stronger than it's ever been and it it's clearly because of our attention to the pains that are in our community. And by the way, the pains that are in our community are a lot different than they were a year ago. We didn't think of frontline heroes in the way that we do today. We didn't have any taste of that. But now wherever you live, if you open your eyes, you'll hear the stories of frontline heroes that some of them or a lot of them are having PTSD right now. They've been, and we can go out and we can, we can listen and we can say thank you and we can lift them up and let them know that we, get them to pause and say, hey, thank you. 
And there's something powerful about listening to the pains of today. So this whole corporate social responsibility thing, it can't be something that we've always done. It has to be a reaction to what's really happening today because corporate social responsibility is going outside of your work to literally help the pains of today. And that's, that's made all the difference in our culture and it's made all the difference in the way that we're held in our community by our clients and by our other stakeholders. Uh, Charles, I, I definitely do want to talk about uh, the pandemic and how that's influenced uh, what you're doing on the uh, philanthropy front, but I do want to backtrack just uh, a bit. Uh, I really do appreciate the Frank the Tank reference, uh, and I do want to uh, I do want to ask how how is it then if if no is not an option within your culture, how do you pick your partners when it comes to philanthropy? And how do you, you know, how do you vet to make sure, you know, uh, you're helping the most worthy causes or the ones that align with, uh, with you and your organization? That's a great question. And I can tell you, it's an important question. And the answer is important to learn for those companies that want to do this, because really you should be aligning under something that makes sense. It needs to be aligned with your real story. It needs to be aligned with who you are, but it also needs to make sense. Like we donate the roofs for Habitat. Well, that makes sense because Habitat believes everybody deserves a decent place to live. They're a roofing pro. They do that. That makes sense. Uh, and in, in, in like the Ronald McDonald House give, over 200 of us across the country do that. That makes sense. We're, we're helping keeping families safe, dry, and close to their sick kids. But there is, you know, I'd say for us, we go outside of it. And I don't know why it works, honestly, but we go outside of that. Uh, we, we end up saying yes to wherever the pain is sometimes. And so I, I think with me, Art, there's a little bit of a serendipitous feel where how things work out. I feel like when I over when I overcraft how the philanthropy should be, even though there's good reason to do that to a point, it feels like it becomes less of a real story. It feels like it can become less fun. It be, it, it it engages less people. So it feels like it needs to be real, and I and I that means that I have a even though we have a rule for give should have to do with housing, keeping folks safe and dry. I have a rule that we that we we try to follow that we just still don't just say no. And what ends up happening is so much so many beautiful things. Like let me give you an example of something that's happening right now that's really a cool story. And it involves we got a call from the Laguna Beach Boys and Girls Club. Um, and they needed a roof and they needed a roof because the city just came down and said they're going to lose their insurance, they're going to shut down the club unless they get a roof and it's like over a hundred grand and they didn't have the funding for this and so I'm on the board of Habitat and another one of my Habitat board members also serves there, he was contacted, he called me, hey can you give a roof and, and we were real tapped out and our, our department said I'm sorry we can't right now, we're not able to do that and then so all I did was say hey remember we just, we just don't want to say no. And so it's awkward to say that. I mean, honestly, I, I didn't want to call them up. It's just my experience in life tells me I got to call them up. So this is what I made. it. I made an internal deal with my team. Give me one hour. I'm going to donate one hour of time, not because we're going to donate the roof, but because I believe that we're connected to those who might want to donate the product that would put it on there. And so I got involved. I made one phone call and it was to IB Roofing. And IB Roofs, they um, they had it took a long time because they have to do a lot of vetting, 
but I was walking up with the walking that roof a month later and that was my still fulfilling my first hour my one hour commitment and they said yes we're gonna take care of that roofing I, I don't know what the exact dollar figure is but it's like fifty thousand dollars that becomes such a good story it gets more attention and more people donate IB roofing also contacted the city and had a, there was a, I don't want to get into the story, but you know how ordinances and stuff and colors can be a pain. I mean, IB roofing came in and really solved this in a big way for these kids and these families. And what's awesome is we were able to help. We were, I was able to help just by committing to an hour of time. And so when, so there's a real talent is this when I, in fact, I challenge you this, this is a takeaway. You're going to have asked come in. Now, I, I want to tell you something. Don't believe that ask, if you say yes, people are just going to keep asking and, you won't, and you're going to run out of product. It just doesn't work that way. I can't ask. I can't tell you why. It works in a whole other way. And don't believe that you can't talk about it. That's a bias that everybody in my generation grew up with. Maybe if you're 30 or younger, you don't believe it. But you have to talk about the give if you want it to grow. But my point was um, in order to, I, I had a good point on this. What was the question again, Art? <laughs> uh, well, you were, you were talking about the Laguna Beach story, uh, and I guess really it was, it was more about just how you make sure uh, you're aligning with the right, you know, uh, right causes. This is what it was. There was the, the nugget I was saving for the end there, yeah, is just, this is my, this is my, my biggest nugget. When an ask comes in, just don't say no. Just don't say no. So what that means is you don't have to say yes, but just don't say no. So the magic word is maybe. When an ask comes in, go to sleep on it. Find a way that there is not a no so that you can go to sleep on it. And what I'm going to challenge you to accept or challenge you to see is if you do that, you're going to be telling stories like me. I don't know how it happened. The weirdest thing happened. I got a call the next day from this guy. And he had time. It's like it just happens over and over again. So the magic is... Just say maybe, say maybe, and then go to bed on it, talk to your team about it, see what happens. You can help in so many ways, and when your team starts to hear those stories, you lift them up. When, you're, when your VP's spouse or your, your worker's spouse hears about this, it lifts them up. It makes them realize, we're, you know, it's not just a paycheck. We're making it a better place for our kids, and not just our kids. We're making it a better place for everyone, and that's another thing that I strongly believe. Get involved with causes. If you want to be smart to your business, don't involve yourself in causes that are controversial. In fact, you can lift every cause to a high enough plane that it builds the bridge all the way to everyone, and that's an absolute rule in this. It is absolutely all-inclusive. The causes that you get involved with must in language and in, in its service build the bridge all the way to everyone. It could be like Habitat for Humanity. Habitat for Humanity is like, I, I'm, a, I'm on the board here. It's actually a Lutheran organization originally. I don't know if it's affiliated out to the church, but, but my point is it builds the bridge all the way to everyone, no matter who they are in the community. And I think that is the criteria for success in your company. The last thing you want in your company is controversy tied to any kind of political type thing. Well, your right. magic so, word may be maybe. Your magic word may be maybe, Charles, but it creates magical stories that become incredibly motivating. The maybe stories. Art? <laughs> no, maybe. Charles, I was just going to ask you if, uh, if it, so you, you can do all that, uh, you can do all that work and you can do all that vetting and, uh, but some, you know, you still can't please everyone. 
have you ever received a backlash from partnering with a particular organization? And uh, you know, how did you handle that if you if you've had to? Well, that, that's I, I'll tell a story. I I don't know. These are stories I don't usually tell, but I I think education of what really happens is the way people can check for authenticity. And so yeah, it, there's a lot of things that go wonky. And if you were to be honest, once you get involved with nonprofits, they're like businesses. Not every department runs smoothly. And some people would say even more wonky. So um, I can tell you, um, there was a, there was a here's a case of the story uh, that happened. And I won't mention names, but there was a nonprofit that needed a roof and they reached out to us and we had made a big commitment on roofing. But this commitment on roofing for four campuses was going to involve um, um, a coating system that the manufacturer had told me would be hardy enough. And so, um, and I believed them, but when we went to the job, the guy running the job, it was, he was like, this isn't good enough. And so I had good-hearted, willing manufacturers of a coating system that wanted to help these people by donating all this product, but it didn't meet the criteria of the NDL warranty that the facilities needed, not even close. And so here I am brokering this, and I had a big give on my own that we were going to donate a lot of labor, and it turned so wonky that it, the job the job super was getting so upset, I don't blame him, because there was all this indecisiveness about the donation. And so what ended up happening is I had to back out. I had to back out of a donation. But because I backed out of a donation, I felt so bad about it, I turned around and my wife and I wrote a check for $50,000. Now that was a big check for us to write. When we were gonna donate that much labor, that was an easier thing. It, you know, it was gonna come out a little easier. And so, but my point is, is I, we just do it. You just do it. You do it because it's the right thing. And, and it's a story that nobody's talked about. I haven't talked about it until now. But it's like, it's still the right thing to do. It's like helping homelessness. It's not attractive for me all the time. It's not attractive because not everybody wants to care or they admit they care. But how can I, when I live to keep families safe and dry, how can I keep ignoring people that are not safe nor dry living on the street. And I think, I think there's, a lot of, there's a lot of pain surrounding this. Sometimes it shows up in things failing, but you still show up and do the right thing. You know, what's funny is I, I don't feel bad about it and I don't want recognition for everything we do. Having said that, Art, if you don't get recognition, you're, not, you're, gonna, you're gonna go out of business if you're donating stuff and they're not ever talking about it. You, you do need it to be talked about, but you don't, you don't plan it that way. Sometimes it's talked about, sometimes it's not. But but it's a it's a beautiful thing when it starts to be who you are and the community knows you that way and your people know why they work for you. And I, I feel like it's a beautiful thing that we try to create, but keeping it is a challenge and keeping it re requires vulnerability. I'm trying to show that right now, but you know, I'm a very vulnerable leader. Um, I, there's a new book that came out this year. It was uh, on an Adam Grant's bestseller list, Do Good at Work, B. Bacalandro. And B. Bacalandro, she's an incredible uh, um, pioneer in kind of teaching corporate social responsibility to CEOs. And this is a beautiful book. I recommend it. But I'm quoted in here, and I'm, she actually has a little picture of me. And this is what she claims that I said. I don't remember saying this, but it's true, and I believe in it. I said, it takes guts to be vulnerable at work. 
though it actually makes everything easier. And I think the vulnerability is a piece that I see it in businesses that do well. I was at your awards a couple of years ago, and who's the guy that won commercial business of the year last year, two years ago, Jill? Don Kennedy. Don Kennedy, oh my gosh. I mean, when he talks, I just get goosebumps. He's all in for his employees, and you can tell, he, he sends in his signal that you can question me, you can come in and question this, and we'll make it good for you. I mean, that's what it takes. It takes that type of vulnerability today. And by the way, that wasn't necessarily true 10 years ago. It, I'm not saying it wasn't true, but it didn't need it to be like it needs to be today. And so if you want to thrive, it really comes down to that type of leadership, being vulnerable, asking questions, trying to do stuff that's not all working. And, and like I said, I have, I have struggled with my own team in our philanthropy. Two, three years ago, we gave away more money. I think it was the same year I spoke, a couple of years ago. We, we, we didn't make money that year, but we gave away like $800,000. And I mean, not everybody was happy about that. And I was questioning myself, honestly, but looking back, we made the best investment ever. I mean, we could have put that money in the bank, but we invested it real time in community. And I got to tell you, our brand's a lot bigger because we did. Our culture's a lot stronger because we did. I wish I had an algorithm that could measure my company and see if it was worthwhile. I guarantee if they had one, it would show, oh my God, everybody would be doing it. Don't invest in the bank, don't buy that property, give it to Habitat. That's kind of what I'm saying, but you wouldn't know, I wouldn't be on this talk show, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't true. It's, it, it's the single greatest tool that I have in leadership. It is that we must show why we exist and it can't be just about to make money. It's got to be proof every day that we are showing up in community, showing how aggressively we work, no matter what, to keep families safe and dry. Charles, that's a fascinating perspective, and I appreciate you telling that story uh, about you know working with the nonprofit when it didn't go so well, uh, because I, I do think that that, uh, that could be in the back of other contractors' minds uh, who, who may want to take that first step along with you. I do want to turn uh, quickly to the pandemic. You mentioned earlier all the different causes that uh, you and your people have been involved in. Uh, I wondered, well, first off, have you found time to do some roofing? Uh, amidst all that giving back and what really I guess uh, you talked about earlier stepping up to the to the need in the community uh, talk about where your community is at now and uh, what what uh, what you're doing now to help out well I, I think right now right now in our community um, the, the greatest thing that, or the, I'd say the, the two things that are the most consuming of my time are um, blood recovery, because we're in, we've been in a nationwide blood shortage. Uh, our valley here, the LA Basin's been short several times, but also uh, in really recognizing frontline heroes. I, th I think that's been the two areas that we're involved in every week. My personal time art, is spent very much in this. Now, I want you to stand back and think about this. At first, to think of a roofing pro, the CEO of a roofing company, a craftsman who started his own company, to not spend time either selling or operations or managing jobs, it seems careless at first until you think about it. 
I could go out and sell a lot more jobs, but wow, I'm sick of my team selling without me. I could go run a lot more jobs. I could go, I could go uh, strategize in a lot of areas, or I could focus on what's going to attract and retain the best talent. Because in our industry, as you know, we have a 54% attrition rate. Over half the employees of the average company will go to work for another company during the course of the year. And yet every roof we install has literally hundreds of thousands of parts. And so I think what I've discovered is, oh my gosh, when I, when I started to pull away more time from selling and more time in the community, I noticed my culture got happier. People understood why they came to work. They brought purpose to work with them. We started attracting people that would have never considered working for a roofing company before. Like Susan DeGrasse, my VP who's, who's on the National Women, uh, National Women in Roofing Board, on the American Red Cross Board, who's on several other boards. Susan DeGrasse would not be working for my company as our VP of HR and Cause if it not for spending time really making a difference in community. And so what I've discovered is by me doing this, I'm literally, I'm working uh, probably 30 hours a week doing California love drops, supporting frontline heroes of police, fire, and, and hospitals. And what's happening is my people are coming and they're staying and they're running better jobs than me and they're they're running better HR than me and they're running better finance than me and yet I get to go out and do what I get to do is lead from up here where we and, and kind of run this course and it's a beautiful thing when you start to do this when you start to see that real impact happening all around you I, I don't even know how to I can't even imagine not doing it and I can't imagine if I put all my time in the sales and didn't do this how things might crumble and so I probably spend uh, only 20% of my time reviewing what we're doing in other part of the companies and, and all of my time out. And, 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 but let me tell you why. This is why I do it. Because I showed up at a California love drop. This was a couple months into uh, COVID and I was anti-social at the time. And I showed up to bring food, to bring, you know, all these gifts to this hospital staff who just worked a double and I didn't really pay attention that day till I showed up and realized where it was. It was at Chalk Children's Hospital where my twins were born premature. And I was able to go in that moment after they worked a double and say thank you to the Chalk nurses. That was like a big deal. That was like the first, one of the first times I remember after the pandemic struck of being kind of alive in the moment. And like, oh my gosh, this feels good. And, and then I remember like these stories that other people like in blood recovery, there's a, there's this, this guy came in, he's in the roofing industry. This guy comes in, Harry, and I tease him. I say, I want you to give blood with both arms. And that night he sends me an email and he says, Charles, and he was super emotional. He goes, I was freaked out when you said both arms. And I thought, why? And I read, read on, he goes, you see, I was born in a war-torn country. It's a civil war with great loss of life on both sides. There was loss of blood. So great people were dying in the hospital, but nobody would go to the hospital and brave the war to donate because they were afraid they would be killed until a very large man who lived in the village heard this. He braved the war and he stormed the hospital doors. He literally broke them down and he said, take my blood from both arms and don't stop until you have all that you need. And when Harry told me the story, he went on to tell me that after the town heard that, 
that other people started showing up to give blood and it made a huge difference in the way that that town recovered and i thought that is kind of what's happening right now. What is, we've always talked about philanthropy, but now it's like, it's time to give with both arms. And that's kind of what the California love drop feels like it's doing. Cause we show up at the police station. I remember like six months ago, I mean, police stations were taking a beating around the country. They just were, that was just going on. And we showed up with all this monster energy drink, yogurt land, Wahoo's fish tacos, all this product from all these major corporations that really cared. And we said here this police captain he started crying and he said this is the first he started crying he said you have no idea what it's been like to be a police officer he has rookies that are looking to change careers after just getting started and he said it was the first act of kindness they'd received in the last six weeks and then we've gone back and we know we've been able to continue that and we go to we go to hospitals and you know we we, we bring these we have a new partner just the last month and it's it's ice rollers I can't remember the name of the brand. I wish I could, skin mask ice rollers. And what it does is we give it to the frontline nurses because we found out from going to hospitals that, that nurses at every hospital that have been working doubles and triples, they have damaged skin. And so now we have a product owner that's given ice rollers that we can give these nurses. And when these nurses realized that we gave them and realized what it was for, after working a double, they started giggling. And I got to experience that. We got to experience it at fire stations. I was moved out of my home for two days this year. Our, our whole area, 50,000 homes evacuated. I got to go to the fire station that came from another part of the state, San Diego, and, and keep my area. And I got to go say thank you and, and with that. And I think that is like, to me, I, that's it. I'm awakened. We're awakened. There, I said, started this, our culture's never been higher than it is today. It's so true. We have the best culture we've ever had. I think we have the best brand we ever had. And we're all awakened in the moment. We're not fearful like we were a year ago. We're not excited, but we're excited to show up for work every day. You know, work becomes a pleasure, becomes like, oh my gosh, we're moving the dial to make things better for everybody instead of I'm gonna go there and be shot down by my people. And because you do good, I, I'm a lot better boss. You know, I used to go around like the Siegel boss, kind of, there's a, there's a book, The 10 Minute Manager, The Siegel Boss. He goes around flapping his ring, squawking and shitting all over everybody. That's not who I am anymore. Because I spend my time doing good things, I mostly say good things. I'm sure I have my moments that I scare people, but for the most part, my job is to go around and be chief cheerleader. My job is to sit, tell people what they're doing right not what they're doing wrong. And it's a lot easier for me to do when I'm focused on doing good in the community. So this is the best culture we've ever had. This is the happiest I've ever been at work. And I believe this is the, one of the most poised for growth that we've ever been. Charles, uh, you've talked about giving back to community. Uh, you've obviously uh, upped your involvement in the industry as well with NRCA in particular, but uh, I'm sure with other groups. Uh, talk to me about your philosophy in giving back to the roofing industry and why that's important to you. Um, I don't know. It's it's really important to me. I um, I feel like a little bit humble talking about it. I feel very grateful that the roofing industry has partnered with me. I've been able to partner with them. They've been able to help me see so much more and do so much more than I've ever thought possible. Um, what was, I, 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 there was part of your question that triggered, I, I forgot. Can you ask it again, Art? No, sure, just uh, uh, your commitment to 
giving back to the industry through organizations like NRCA or others we're probably not aware of. But uh, why is that important to you? What are you getting out of it, both professionally and personally? Well, I, I can tell you that when the NRCA reached out to me and asked me to be on the board, and I'm on the Roofing Alliance board now too, it it it, it meant so much to me. It just it, because I always felt like the roofing industry wasn't that close, but it was just my view where I was. I didn't feel connected. I didn't know there were so many people that were trying to move the dial forward and wanting to give back in so many ways. And so for me, when I got involved with the NRCA and I found out about the Roofing Alliance, it was just like, oh my gosh, I knew this existed. I knew it would be like this. And I remember my, you know, when you're on the board, you term out. So I was asked to be on the board uh, over three years ago and I, and I recently termed out. And, you know, I can't wait to be on the board of the NRCA again. I mean, it's like it's really important to me to continue to serve there. And I'll always say yes to that because I believe the only way you keep anything for reals is to be willing to give it back. And that's why those of you and there's a lot of them. I'm not unique here. But if you're a friend in the roofing industry and you reach out to me and you want to know a real question, no matter how hairy, I'll tell you a real answer, no matter how hairy. And I think that is something that I didn't know existed out there. So I'll share anything to move it forward because I want to keep it. And I, I love that about this industry. It's a very generous industry. Like I said earlier, I, I don't know any other pros. All of my friends are just like me. We can't let people have leaky roofs just because they don't have the money to pay. And now we're more organized than we've ever been and increasingly so. And I think we're realizing our power. We're realizing that, you know, we're these craftsmen and daredevils. I don't say that um, with any temptation to be, I'm just saying we're the ones out there up on the roofs and it's a very, very risky profession. And we're those craftsmen up there that believe that every nail matters and we're putting it in as perfect as we can to keep you dry. And you know, we're those, that's who we are. And it feels really good for me to be that person today. And I, and I love the fact that the roofing industry is seeing itself sexier. We're real. Well, trades are sexier than they used to be. And now that we're starting to realize that and we're realizing our skill, I mean, it's an exciting time for me. It's a time that our impact's going to get a lot stronger. I mean, it's pretty cool that we take care of all the Ronald McDonald houses in the U.S. And it's pretty cool that that happens. And, you know, and that, that by the way, that, that care, that unit-by-unit unit care of family across the country is being emulated by other trades doing the same thing. I think when you start to have impact like this, your life just becomes better. Your trade becomes better. Your culture becomes better. So my life is better. My company's lives are better. My company's families, the families that work for me, their lives are better. The communities that have an association with what we're doing, the nonprofits that were associated with us, our lives are better. This is a very, very good time to get involved. And by the way, the roofing industry is just full of wonderful people. I can't believe what's been accomplished uh, you know, in the last few years under Reed Ribble, I am so grateful for the One Voice Initiative. I'm so grateful for uh, the certification. I'm so grateful for the continuation of the adoption of every Ronald McDonald House. I mean, the roofing industry is strong today, and we're rallied together as an industry, and we are we're, we're really becoming strong, and we're becoming strong with other trades, and that excites me for how we can lift 
the trade, lift the experience, lift our lives for all the families that are involved across the country. Thank you, Charles. Uh, you really, uh, uh, you delve right into the next question, which was what really excites you about the roofing industry. So I think you, you pretty much nailed uh, uh, a lot of the different topics, unless there are some real specific you know, things you wanted to mention, whether it be technology or, or anything like that. But if, if not, uh, uh, I'm satisfied, Jill. Oh, amazing. Charles, well, the roofing awesome. industry, you know, it's cool. The roofing industry is, it does a really good job compared to itself talking about what we're doing. I think the roofing industry is doing an increasingly better job and I gotta give you guys a lot of the credit. Um, I do appreciate that. I noticed that you guys always tell those stories of impact. You know, you do tell the important story. You tell the story that allows us to feel good about what we do. And I think that that's, I really appreciate that. I really, and I really appreciate you involving me on this today. Um, anytime you need me, Art, anytime you need me, Jill, I'll be there. Well, Charles, it is, I, I'm so excited to help you spread the word about chasing the impact. I mean, your energy is so contagious. I truly am humbled and grateful that we were able to spend the time with you today to be able to spread the word about chasing the impact of what it can do for your company, what it can do for you personally, what it can do for you just all over professionally, personally, like I just said, it is you're, I'm ready to just, I'm ready to go give right now. It's, I'm so inspired. So thank you for all you do because it truly is contagious and it's just inspiring. It's so inspiring to listen to. Well, thank you, Jill. You're so kind. And thank you to everybody who's listening. If you have any questions for Charles, uh, Charles, how can somebody get a hold of you if they want to touch base? I would love it if you followed me on LinkedIn. Um, I am very active in talking about the good that we're doing. And, and then the reason I want you to follow me is because I'm going to teach you how to talk about the good that you're doing. I serve on a dozen boards. I'm not bragging. I'm simply telling you I have a lot of experience talking about modeling good in companies. And I know that you're scared to because it's difficult to talk about the good that you're doing. But if you connect with me, I'll help you. If you reach out to me, I'll help you. I'll share anything that's working and what's not. Oh, that's awesome. Also, anybody, you can reach us as well at roofingcontractor.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up and register for free for our e-newsletters and our new e-magazine. And please make sure you stay safe and healthy. And we can't wait to talk to you next time.